Thanks for tuning in to this week's sermon from Oak Hill Church in Humboldt, Iowa. We pray that it helps you to know Christ, grow in Christ, and sow Christ wherever you are. For more information about who we are and what we're doing, go to oakhillhumboldt.org. Got a Bible this morning, I invite you to turn to the book of Malachi. Malachi is the last book in the Old Testament. If you're new with us, we have been in a series walking through the book of Malachi. We are now at chapter 3. Chapter 3, and I'm going to read verses 6 to 12. Malachi 3, 6 to 12. This is the word of God. For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. From the days of your fathers you have turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you say, how shall we return? Will man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you? in your tithes and contributions. And you are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. I will rebuke the devourer for you, so that it will not destroy the fruits of your soil, and your vine in the field shall not fail to bear, says the Lord of hosts. Then all nations will call you blessed, for you will be a land of delight, says the Lord of hosts. Now as you can see from this text, today we're going to talk about giving. And I know what you're thinking. This is not the right time to talk about money. We're still in a pandemic, still dealing with all the political and cultural tension. Soon we're heading into the holiday season, and this is just a time where we've been out of rhythm. And I would guess that chances are many of us here in this room were struggling, or at least pretty tight financially. So so why talk about money? It's just not the right time. And yet, I want to be faithful to the Word of God. We are a church that preaches right through books of the Bible. And when we get to a text like this, we don't just skip it. This is God, His Word, and He's speaking to us. This this is what He has ordained for us today to hear from His voice. And yet, I want to acknowledge this has been an unsettling time. This has been a challenging, exhausting time with all the changes, disruptions, chaos around us. Life is just a bit wonky. And we want security, don't we? We want security. We want to be comfortable, and oftentimes money is that thing that gives us security. Or at least keeps our sanity. And so when someone mentions giving, We're like, hold on, hold on a second. I wish I could help. I really do. I wish I could do more. But not now. Now is not a good time. 
And if you can relate to that, here's what I want you to know this morning. You're not the first to feel that way. You're not the first to feel that way. As you recall, the people in Malachi's day, they were coming out of exile. These people, they just wanted to get back to normal. Many of us feel the same way. They were still very vulnerable. Economically, they had very little money. Politically, they really had no army of their own. On top of that, they're, they're dealing now with this drought and crop failure. And I doubt they had crop insurance back then. So since they were relatively poor with limited resources in this time, they began to shortchange God. They were, they were stingy with their money. As you may recall, under the old covenant, God had commanded them to give a tithe. 10% of their income. Their, their, the first of what they had was to go toward God. But they must have been thinking, no way is that happening. I mean, I gotta make ends meet here. So, so even if we're struggling, we're just gonna keep withholding because we've gotta have money, we've gotta have security. I think we can sympathize with them. We, if we're honest, we can sympathize with them. I think a lot of times this is, this is kind of the rural mindset. Many of us, we grew up, or our ancestors grew up on farms, and we were kind of just dependent upon the weather, you know? Depending upon what's going to happen with the crops and how we're gonna make a living. And so oftentimes, we grow up in the Midwest with that, with that kind of fear mentality. How is, how is this year gonna turn out? We're gonna have enough hay in the barn? And so we hold a tighter grip on our money because we want security. And it's here in this place that God chooses to speak to us about money. For God, this is the right time to talk about money. Now, now why would that be? Because he's teaching them and he's teaching us to trust him to stop looking to money for the security that only God can provide. You see, all this was happening for a reason. This exile, this vulnerability they were experiencing economically and politically, and even this pestilence was sent by God for a purpose. But you can hear them saying to themselves, well, the reason why we're being stingy, God, is because you've been so hard on us. You haven't come through for us, and now our crops are failing, and you expect us to be generous? But as we'll see, this, this pestilence isn't the cause of their stinginess, it's the result of their stinginess. This pestilence isn't the cause of their stinginess, it's actually the result of their stinginess. This, this pestilence is a picture of purifying judgment from God. It shows us what our sin deserves. It shows us how horrible our sin really is so that we would return to him in humble repentance. This pestilence is a picture of purifying judgment and perhaps so is this pandemic. Now we, we can try to play it off like it's been no big deal. 
But the entire world, to some degree, has been affected by this. The entire world has been disrupted, shaken out of its comfort zone for a reason. And I think the main reason is right here in this text, God is saying, return to me. Repent and return to me. This is the gracious call of a loving father, and for some of you it might be a gentle nudge, just just a small correction. For others of you, he's getting your attention. This is a wake-up call to humble you, to discipline you, to do whatever it takes that you might return back to him. And we should be humbled by that. We should be humbled by that for these, these nudges and these warnings. They're coming into our lives because he loves us. I think the most scary thing that we could imagine is if we are in sin and God leaves us there. Go on. I'm going to give you up to that. But if he's coming after you this morning, he's calling you back to himself. He loves you. And he knows that you're missing out. And so the big question from this text is simply this. How then shall we return to him? Look at verse 7 again with me. From the days of your fathers you have turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them. Return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. So speaking on behalf of God, Malachi could have just pointed out several sins, but he puts his finger on this one thing. One big problem, verse 8 says, you're robbing me. Will man rob God, yet you are robbing me? Now, in some ways, this is kind of humorous because the word rob in the original language means to take by force. So I wonder if you can imagine like a human being actually trying to take something from God by force. That's ridiculous. That's impossible, right? We can't do that. But there was a sense in which they were. And it wasn't humorous. It was hideous. They were living as if they were the rightful owners of what they had received, of their money and possessions. And in this tithe, 10% of their income was a tangible reminder for them that they must trust God. He was the true owner of it all. He doesn't give up ownership of his money when he gives it to you. You know that, right? We are stewards of his money. What do you have that you have not received? And under the old covenant, the first 10% of all that God gives you, you give back to him. Now the question comes, so that was the old covenant, but what about the new covenant? I mean, 10%, that seems like a lot. Well, under the new covenant, we're to give at least 10%. That's a good starting point because the New Testament gives far, a far more radical principle to give generously, sacrificially, and cheerfully in light of God's grace to you in Jesus. So just a quick application. If that's something new for you, if you have yet to give of your resources, you might be just on the beginning, the front end of your Christianity. So take a step this morning and begin to give cheerfully towards God and his kingdom. And yet here's the question I had while I'm walking through this text. Why does he even go there? 
I mean, why is this the right time to talk about money? They're in a time of drought, for goodness sake. They're in a time of pestilence, scarcity, and vulnerability. Why now, God? Why now? It's because he knows how much money controls us. How money has a power and a grip on our lives. Especially in times of scarcity, we rely on it for security. He knows that money exposes a deeper heart problem in all of us. Stingy people are fearful people. I read an article this week where someone was honest enough to admit and say this, for me, money represents security. Having money means being secure. Not having money means that at any given, amount, any given moment, my whole life could come crashing down. I wonder if you resonate with that. Can you identify with that? Maybe for some of you, your biggest fear is, I won't be able to provide for my family And I don't want to minimize those fears, but they're telling something about your heart. They're telling something about what you value most, about where your security is. God may be touching a nerve today. There are some people, no doubt, that struggle with greed. They just want more and more and more. They're never satisfied. But I think more of us struggle with security. We always want more in the bank. We always need an extra thousand. It's never quite enough. And both greed and security are idols that reveal what we worship. J.D. Greer once said this, God's primary purpose in our giving is not to get the money out of our pockets, but the idols out of our hearts. That's God's primary purpose in why he set up this system of of tithing and giving. He knows that we've got idols in our hearts and he loves us enough to know where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And yet, he does this in such a loving, gracious way. God does not, he does not pile on the pressure for you to give. He doesn't give you a guilt trip to guilt you into this. No, he wants more than an outward behavior. He wants your heart. He knows that we look to money for the security that only God can provide. And so he's saying to us this morning, look, look at me. You can trust me. I'm your security, not money. Real security is found in me. So return to me and come back to me. You see, this this text is not really mainly about giving. It's not really mainly about giving so we can be getting more blessing, which we're going to see is just an abuse of this text. A lot of prosperity preachers use this text for their own gain. the, The main call here is return to me. Come back to me. Don't run to money for your security. You can trust me. And here's why. We can trust him because of who he is. So in this text, he tells us who he is. Three things. First, he says, I am the unchanging God. I am the unchanging God. Look at verse six. For I, the Lord, 
do not change. Therefore you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. Now why do the people of Israel need to be reminded that God does not change? Kind of seems obvious to, to us. They were experiencing a lot of change. Their, their lives were in a constant flux. In and out of exile, economic depression, political upheaval, instability. They were growing weary. And now this crop failure, this pestilence comes upon the land. This was an unsettling time, and they needed an unchanging God. And so do we. I saw this quote this week by Brett McCracken. He says this, What we need more than keeping up on the ever-changing news is to keep grounded in the unchanging attributes of God. We need that. And let me encourage you one way, and he further explains this in this article, we need to get outside and look around God's creation during a time like this, and not to stay cooped up on our phones, looking at the TV, and and wondering and scrolling through Facebook. We need to get outside and get our eyes on God's creation. Here's why. I think one of the reasons why we love the fall is not just the beauty on the trees and the cool air and we can finally wear a sweatshirt and jeans. I think the reason why we love the fall is it's predictable. This is ironic. The season of change reminds us that God is unchanging, right? We love it, here's fall. I remember back to all the past previous times in the fall where I did this and did that and I had this pumpkin bar and had this soup and There's so many beautiful, glorious things about the fall, but I think it reminds us, wait a second, God is faithful, right? These seasons are rhythmic, and we need to be reminded of that. He's unchanging. Now, it it wasn't just their circumstances that were changing, though. They were changing. The people were changing. Many of them were vacillating back and forth in their relationship with God, some even drifting entirely away from God. They were being fickle and unfaithful, half-hearted in their devotion. And God's telling them, I'm not like you. I'm not like you. I don't change. I don't get moody. I don't go through different phases. I don't move on when times are tough. And everything else is changing. I, the Lord, do not change. And and notice what he says here about about who they are. He's reminding them in verse 6. For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. Why does he refer to them as the children of Jacob? He had entered into a covenant with Jacob, which, as we recall, Jacob was a liar and a deceiver. I think he's reminding them, hey, you're no different. You are fickle, and you are faithless, and yet I do not change. My commitment, my covenant to you will not fail. It will not falter. You're mine. So, even though we deserve to be consumed, as it says here in this text, to be destroyed because of our disobedience, God will never leave us or forsake us. In Christ, he loves us and he will not let go of us. So I think he's calling us back to himself here. You moved on from me, I haven't moved on from you. For I, the Lord, do not change. 
We see this in the New Testament. Jesus is described in Hebrews 13, 8. It says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forevermore. And so return to him this morning. Return to him. Trust in him, even when times are tough. Don't find your security in money. It will fail you. Find your security in God alone. And so the first way he reveals himself in this text is he says, I am the unchanging God. Secondly, he says, I am the Lord of hosts. The Lord of hosts. Look at verse 7 again. From the days of your fathers you have turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them. Return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. Now this description of God is repeated four times in these seven verses. If you look down there, you're going to see it four times repeated. It's actually repeated 24 times in this book altogether. So, so what does that mean, the Lord of hosts? Well, it can be translated the God of angel armies. He is he's the God of angel armies. In other words, the one who has infinite power, infinite dominion and authority, and he's surrounded by these angelic hosts, these mighty warriors of light that are ready to do his, his bidding. Now, why was that such a huge emphasis for Malachi? Well, in Malachi's day, the people were pretty small in number compared to the vast Persian empire that surrounded them. And as I said before, they had no army of their own at this point. So think about that for a minute. As a nation, they had really not very much money, no military, and so they were painfully aware of how limited they were in their resources. They needed security. And so God kept reminding them time and time again, I am the Lord of hosts. I am the God of angel armies. And don't you know, you can almost just picture him after he says this every time, don't you know instantly I could release like myriads of angels to fight on your behalf? You need not worry. I'm the Lord of armies. It's like the comfort that Elisha prayed for his servant when they were surrounded by Syrian armies. Do you remember this text in 2 Kings? Then Elisha prayed and said, Oh Lord, please open his eyes and open our eyes that we may see. So the Lord opened the eyes of the young man and he saw and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. He'd been surrounded by this army and he said, wait a second, you've got another army, a spiritual army that's all around you. Take heart. Even Jesus knew he had access to these angel armies as he suffered on the cross. In Matthew 26, verse 53, do you think, this is Jesus, do you think that I cannot appeal to my Father and he will at once send me more than 12 legions of angels? So when we start to worry about our money, about our country, we need to remember that the Lord of armies is on our side. And that Christ will come again on the clouds one day, riding on a white horse, Revelation 19. And the armies of heaven will follow him on white horses, declaring that he's the King of kings and the Lord of lords. So listen, if he has that kind of power, 
Surely he can provide, he can protect you. God says, return to me. Trust me. Don't worry about your money. I am your security. I am your unchanging God. I am the Lord of hosts. And thirdly, I am the bountiful king. I am the bountiful king. Look at verse 10 with me. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. So here we see God as the king in heaven, ready to pour out his blessing, his riches upon us, if we would but trust him and take him at his word. And again, the tangible way we trust him here is with our money. Now, I've said it already, prosperity preachers, they love this verse. They try to manipulate people to give so that God will bless them with more money. It's like our ties are the the key that unlocks the door of wealth and financial security and prosperity. Or I heard one pastor say, it's kind of like our tithes are like the stick and God is this big pinata. And we just got to keep giving him our tithes and he'll just shake down all the, the blessing in response. All the abundance will come down. That is not what this text means is not what this verse implies. God is challenging us to trust him. He says, I'm I'm the bountiful king, so don't withhold your money from me. I want to bless you. And notice, until there is no more need, he says. Not until there is no more greed. You see, ironically, Israel, they couldn't afford to give because they weren't giving. Think about that for a minute. They they could not afford to give because they weren't giving. And God was withholding his blessing. Some of you, you keep living like this. It's it's like this cycle. You keep struggling financially. You're, You're stuck in this rut and you wonder why. And you say to yourself, well, I'll give eventually, but but you never do. You're stuck. And you haven't trusted God. You see him as a taker rather than a giver. Put me to the test, God says. I'll provide for your needs, I will. Not your greeds, but your needs. It's like Matthew 6.33 says, seek first the kingdom of heaven and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Seek first his kingdom. When you get your paycheck, the first, the first tithe, the first part, goes to him. Seek first his kingdom, and all these things we added unto you, you have a good father who will take care of your needs. If some of us here, we think we know better than God. It just doesn't make sense for me to give right now. I mean, I'm going to pay off my debt first, right? Then I'll start giving. I can't afford it now, but maybe later. And you're a little bit like Simon Peter. You remember the story in Luke chapter 5 where Jesus, he's preaching from a boat and Simon, he's just come in after a long night of fishing. Remember, Simon is this master fisherman. He's fished all night long. 
And Jesus tells him, hey, I want you to go put out in the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And you can just see Simon like, seriously? (laughs) You're the son of a carpenter. (laughs) I'm a fisherman. I do this for a living. We were just out there the entire night, and now you're going to tell me during the day at this time, in the deep, to to put the water out? I just, that doesn't make any sense. And do you remember what he says next? Put at your word. I will let down the nets. At your word. I'm going to trust you. And what happens? The boat's filled with fish. There's an abundance there. They can't even handle all the fish. Before you think, well, there it is. God gave an abundance when we trust him. Remember what happens next. Peter does not look around and say, we're rich. Look at this, guys. What does he do? I think he got on his knees. He says, go away from me, Lord. I'm a sinner. He knew in that moment, this is the Lord. This is God in a pair of sandals, and I'm a sinner. And Jesus says, you know what, Simon? You're going to... You're going to catch men. And he left everything and followed after him. He left everything, the Bible says, and followed after him. And so listen, I think that verse 10 is here to point us to a greater reality that we see in the New Testament. It's not so much physical wealth and blessings that our hearts need and long for. It's it's spiritual wealth, spiritual blessings, spiritual riches that are ours in Christ. And if we return to him, In repentance, in faith, there is a waterfall of blessing coming our way in Jesus. Ephesians 1, verse 3, says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And so I just am imagining God as this bountiful king, pouring out from heaven all of these blessings upon your head from heaven above through his son, Jesus. This waterfall of grace and mercy that is ours. He talks about these blessings. There are four that I see here in this text. He talks about the blessing of being chosen. In in verse four, he goes on to say, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. Before we could do anything to earn God's love, he loved us and took the initiative and chose us. Not only that, he adopted us. says, blessed In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. He adopted us as sons into our family. He's poured out his love and his mercy, and he has redeemed us. The verse goes on to say in verse 7, in him we have redemption through his blood. We are set free because of Jesus. We have been redeemed, bought out of slavery, and we have been forgiven. Verse 7 goes on to say, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our sins, according to the riches of his grace, notice, which he lavished upon us. He lavished upon us. And so, in Christ, you have everything you need and everything your heart longs for. 
right now your heart is secure if you have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Your security is found in him. Your satisfaction is found in him. And so it becomes now a joy, a delight for you to give generously to the work of God's kingdom. Why? You have his heart, his spirit living within you. This is a want to, a get to. And so as I close today, and we think about this idea of giving, and Jesus pouring out his wealth for you in riches untold. One pastor said this, he said, don't sit down with a calculator when you give your money away. Sit down with a cross. Contemplate the cross, the generosity of Jesus on your behalf, and may it change the way you look at your money. Let's pray. Father, we are so amazed that you would love us this way. To some degree, we have, we've all robbed you and we need to return to you. And Father, we're thankful that you are an unchanging God. You never change. We are fickle. Our hearts often move away from you. We're prone to wander. And yet you are a God who remains faithful. And you're the Lord of armies. You can provide and protect us. And God, you are the bountiful king. And in Jesus, we have been given every spiritual blessing. In Christ, our hope is found in nothing else. Nothing that this world can provide. It's only found in you. And so I pray that that might free us this morning. To give, to love, to serve. And we do so for your glory. Pray in Jesus' name, amen.